Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account, go to squarespace.com slash twip. This week on Twip, Canon's 5D gets manual video control, economic slowdown at Nikon, and Twip goes live and in living color. All that and much more coming up next on episode number 92 of This Week in Photography. We're with the first live episode of This Week in Photography. Uh, I'm your host, Frederick Johnson, and we've got running the, the wheels of steel, Alex Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. You used to be a DJ anyway, so you're, you're used to being behind the console, right? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I've done this a couple times now, so it's, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm not as good as Leo is. Uh, he has a lot more practice than I am, but I'm working on it. I'm working on, uh, on getting better. So. I feel like I'm kind of like Captain Kirk and you're... you're Driving the Enterprise, you know, so like, you know, Who take us to Warp to... 9, Zulu. <laughs> I like that. And uh, live in the video feed this time, we have none other than Steve Simon as well. Mr. Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. This is weird. <laughs> I'm not used to, uh, you can see I put on, you know, pants. Well, you can't really see that, but it, it's good to be here on, on the video feed. This is uh, a little bit uh, intimidating. Did you clean up. You clean up the room behind you just so it would look good on the on the show. Just a little bit. Actually, I'm not actually in my office because I've I've actually um, I'm migrating my new computer to. Anyway, it's a long story, but uh, next week you'll see my actual backdrop. Excellent. And also on the stream is Mr. Aaron Mailer. Hey, Aaron. Hello. 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 Excellent. Look at those video games. Now we know how Aaron lives. You see, when we, hey. you know, it's all been audio for us up, up until now. Now we're getting a, a glimpse into uh, Aaron's insanity. It's he Aaron's in version of Never- Neverland Valley Ranch. Quite a lot of it. Is that Donkey Kong? Uh, it's that's a whole bunch of things. I'll have to tell you. It's right. Millipede and Marble Madness and Pac-Man. And you built all that stuff, didn't you? And Mame. So nice. you built all a few that, thousand right? titles. Aaron, did you build that stuff? Um, well, they're all original cabinets, actually. The the controls that are in the front, so the gray ones over here, are are, are my creation, which I plan to redo at some point, actually. The Pac-Man's completely unmodified. Nice. All right. Well, uh, first thing up is I want to give a nod to our sponsor, who's Squarespace.com. Squarespace. And uh, Alex, you want to tell us about Squarespace a little bit? Well, you know, I I can say uh, certain things, but one of the big things uh, that, of course, everyone should know is that uh, when you go to Twip Log, uh, you see Squarespace. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's what we actually build it with, and um, it is just we're moving everything that we're doing uh, over to Squarespace. So it's really easy to have them as a sponsor because you know it's something we're using a lot of. So we're building uh, the new Pixelcore site, Pixelcore.tv, um, you know, the new DB Garage site, the, you know, on top of this. As soon as we did TwipLog, we were kind of over it. And of course, Squarespace gives you a really easy to use, uh, you know, WYSIWYG. You know, you just sit there and just make the adjustments. You don't have to yeah. be a coder. If you are a coder, you can customize it and add you all kinds of You can dive into the and, CSS and tweak and do, it to your heart's do, delight. Y- right? if, you want, if you decide later that you want to move it out, you can take it to WordPress or, or something later. You can yeah. export that out. So that's there's, the cool thing uh, that... I haven't really seen before. I know open source 
services or applications, software as a service, however you want to put it, like like WordPress, uh, make it relatively easy to export the XML so that you can import it into something else. But right. but I think Squarespace makes it it sort of bubbles it up to the surface a little more, so it doesn't make it hidden, and you don't have to be a geek in order to move somewhere else if you want to. Yeah, and and it's just so it's 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 very very easy. There's a lot of templates you can start with to work and adjust, but um, but you can just simply you know take those and make them into almost anything. And so uh, I know I'm working on my own blog, which is supposed to be done today, and it's not. And it'll be another couple more days, but it's uh, uh it is just so it's fun. It's yep. fun to use. Now, if people want to uh, get a chance to try it out themselves, they should go to squarespace.com slash TWIP. It's mm-hmm. uh, T-W-I-P. Um, and if you want to get – now, you can get a free, a free uh, you know, test that you can kind of work with and, and see if it works for the you trial uh, account. there. Yeah, yeah. trial account. Uh, you don't need a credit card. You don't need anything. You can just go in there and check it out. Um, and so that's at squarespace.com slash TWIP. If you actually want to buy an account, which isn't very expensive, especially when you think about – the cost of uh, streaming, mm-hmm. um, the I mean, not streaming, but the cost of, of hosting it somewhere else. Sure. I mean, you know, they're they're handling that for you. Yeah. You can use the offer code TWIP TWIP, oddly enough, um, to get ten percent off. So definitely check it out. Uh, I, it's, it's a uh, service that I'm really really excited about. Very cool. Well, moving on to the news, there's uh, there's some there's been some some. Tr- Ripples in the uh, photography community uh, for the Canon users, which represents uh, the largest chunk, I guess it is, right, of of digital SLR users out there. Um, And something near and dear to Mr. Alex Lindsay's heart, uh, they released a firmware update for the uh, 5D Mark II, which allows full... Uh, manual control over exposure, shutter speed, aperture, all that stuff. So now you can just get really creative with your video. Why and and what <laughs> you know where this is going? What did you do, Alex, when you heard about this firmware update? Uh, I ordered two. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I'm trying to scrape up money to buy a G10. Okay, so so point. so I, I just want to be when I say I ordered uh, uh, two, I um, the company ordered two. So so I didn't I didn't come I didn't scrape up the money to order them. Uh, what happened was is Wait, that the company that you're. The company that, that I that own. I own. Oh, okay, okay. Just so I would. <laughs> but be but it's different. I mean, it's different than me. I mean, I still have my own income and my own stuff, and sure. it, and those are those are expensive cameras. So I can definitely. I don't know if they're for everyone, but um, we had a client uh, who wants to shoot interviews, and I just really was like, oh, I, I don't know if we can. And they wanted to shoot them with these really short depth of field and everything mm-hmm. else, two camera shoots, and mm-hmm. and we've talked about doing this with the um, with the Mark IIs for some time. Um, and, uh, we just didn't have the, I, without that control, I wasn't going to sit there in front of a client sitting there going, uh, mm, uh just right. hold on a second while I figure out how to open up the aperture. Yeah. So, um, with that control, we're going to be, uh, getting a couple of them. So we can do these two, sh- you know, what, and our system is going to be a little bit complicated. We're going to have a, two beach tech boxes underneath. We're going to be f- taking two mics and putting them into a sound devices and then out to the two, then splitting those Not out with to the two cameras. Average, this week in photography <laughs> user will be doing. Yeah. So, so it's not, and, and, and I'm, I'm excited. It'll take really good images as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it's so, uh, so what are some of the limitations though? I mean, there's, you mentioned before, there's still some little things that are missing. What's missing? Well, I mean, the, the I don't understand why you, I, don't, I just don't understand why you do this firmware update without going to 24p. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're doing all this work, you know, to, to update it. You're going through all the trouble of making it work. It doesn't. I, I, I might be missing something. Maybe there's some huge math that's required to but get to 24p. In a nutshell, for the still photographers that don't know what 24p is, okay. What so just, just TV, in one line tells what 24p TV is. TV is 30 is 30 or 29. 
nine seven yeah. uh, or thirty frames a second, really. Yep. And film, like standard, like when you go to a film, mm-hmm. uh, is twenty four p. Uh, and the two advantages of 24p is one is it's more film-like, and if you want to use this camera to kind of create a filmic look, uh, it's gonna it's gonna feel more like film when you do that. Also, for people who are putting stuff online, it's a fifth less memory, fifth less you know the files are smaller, and and it's it's fewer frames. Yeah. And you know, people a long time ago spent a lot of time figuring out what's the minimum we can get away with, and 24 turned out to be a really good number, you know. And so, so that's the I just don't understand why they didn't conform to that. Yeah. And our entire pipeline internally is all 20, 23, 9, 8, 24, 24 frames a second. So, uh, so it would have been nice to be able to integrate those uh, pieces. So the entire saga that we've been going through for the last 24 months, 18 we'll months continue. of waiting on you to Yeah, yeah, the saga. So I was, I was like, up the pot. Uh, er, uh, er. And, and it was hard. you know. It was, yeah. and, and, and I had some Canon glass, and so I was a little bit hoping that Canon would come around and everything else. Uh, the, the Nikons look gorgeous. I mean, the D700, the D3, you know, D3X, and they, it just looks so great. Um, and I just need the video. To so if Nikon work. comes out with a D4 or D3, whatever, that's no, we're done. full frame video <laughs> HD with 24p. We got 20, we got two years. We'll have two years of using these cameras. Yeah. I mean, when we, when we invest in these cameras, there, right. there'll be two years of using the bodies. And, um, it, you know, this is the, you know, where, for us, Nikon missed the boat by not incorporating those into so the So the Twip listeners won't have the opportunity to uh, see you do a Scott Bourne and just throw it all online and switch wholesale. You know, to while, the other. while while it's easy for me to go buy two cameras for a for a production that's that's going to pay for it, you know, uh, um, it is a uh, once we purchase, we we kind of just tend to stop thinking about it after okay. that. You pull the trigger and you commit. Then we're like, okay, we're done. It takes me a long as you see. The, as you see, it takes a little time for me to. It, it you know, it and does. that's my pick of the week. By the way, is the is the five D oh, Mark II? Cheating. Come on, it isn't. No, you it isn't. Get another pick. People Sorry. have been waiting for me to do a pick. This pick for a long time. So this is my people, this is my big pick. Hundreds of thousands of people have made that pick already. You got to pick something new. <laughs> but it's it's a new pick because there's a new firmware. It's a new camera. All right, it's new to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex. Moving on. Panasonic has announced a firmware update for their DMC LX for the LX3. Woo! See, I got another firmware. Do you update. have that LX3? Uh-huh, I don't have it here, but I do have it. Well, Aaron, Aaron, do you have one of those? Nope, sure don't. You're going to get one though, aren't you? Mm, possibly. <laughs> I'm looking more at the 5D Mark II. So. Oh, see, <laughs> you just buy a, everything. Like some people in the room <laughs> do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Aaron, you want to tell us a little bit about that that firmware update? Um, apparently, it uh, improves auto white balance, uh, general performance on the camera itself, uh, fixes a few other less critical issues, and apparently users can download it on June first, which is today. Oh, excellent! I don't know, so you know what? go I'm, download I'm, that firmware, Alex. Yes, it's it's the day of the firmware. And uh, this other thing in the news that I wanted to chat about is this this new device, or actually, it's a camera holder. It's called a Spider camera holder. Basically, it's kind of like. Remember the old style belt clip that people used to quick release and put their their phones so they could sort of dangle and quick release from their belt? And some people still do that. Um, this company created this metal version of that with a metal clip that attaches to the uh, to the tripod socket on the bottom of your camera, and then you just sort of drop it in there. There's a video which we'll link to in the show notes about how it works. I uh, wanted to kind of throw that out there and see what you guys thought about it. Steve, I know you, you're the, the, the photojournalist of the crowd, and you're running around with multiple camera bodies all the time. I know you saw this video. Would, <laughs> would you put your D3 on it? Well, I got to say, you know, I kind of totally want one on many different levels. 
Um, you, it looks so effortless. You just sort of put it onto your belt, and it, it looks like it's secure. But at the same time, if anyone has, has anyone ever like dropped a phone that was sort of on their belt? I mean, I know it's just a matter of time having one of these things for me personally that tragedy strikes and I, I drop the thing. I think it, it, it definitely could work. I probably just have to kind of lose a little around the midsection <laughs> so when I sit down, it won't, you know, endanger the clip. <laughs> Coming up. I know Aaron so, and I were Aaron and I were talking about it last <laughs> night online, and it looks really cool. But my my comment was, you know, you have a fifteen dollar belt on, and your camera presumably <laughs> costs a little bit more than that belt. <laughs> so you're like, and you're you're and you as a photojournalist, your livelihood is essentially thing, resting on that belt buckle. <laughs> I mean, you know, it looks like it looks like you know, it looks like secure steel kind of uh, light stand like. Uh, 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 clip that you put on there it looks pretty secure but i mean when you put a d3 on your belt i mean you know it's 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 heavy and yeah, it's but it, sort it, of it's the it's weakest full. link thing though it's the weakest it's, link the weakest link would be the belt buckle <laughs> i want to know about the snatch and grab in the subway yeah you know well. you end up losing your camera and your pants and <laughs> yeah. it's by. i say we, i say we reserve final judgment until steve simon tries Absolutely. it out on a couple of shoots yeah. and if it Absolutely. works great then we're good to go i'll be there uh, then moving on, also in the news, we've got, um, what is this? Nikon posted a loss. It's a loss. Nikon posted a loss. A little tear came to mind when I saw that. <laughs> well, like, just I mean, in terms of camera companies in general, I don't want to see camera companies. It's a big though. loss, too. I mean, it yeah, was. Yeah, what was the number in there? $123 million. Yeah, it, but it beat, it beat the analyst estimates. What is that? You know, <laughs> It's like, analysts thought they'd be filing for bankruptcy, <laughs> yeah. but they only posted $123 million. Right. Yeah. That's not cameras, guys. I mean, Nikon's a company, and it looks like you know they have many businesses, including yeah. the Stepper business, which I guess had a very big loss. So, yeah, what was that loss? It was 300 and something? Yeah, it was over $300 million. So I think you know when you look at the global economic picture, it's not great. And I, I generally think that Nikon is, is probably doing pretty well compared to a lot of the uh, big electronics places. Evidently, I hear that they're doing uh, much better than GM. Evidently. <laughs> no, I would, I would sure. beg to argue that because GM is now owned by the United States of America. <laughs> as, I said, they're doing, of them, right? as I said, they're doing much better than GM. They're, yeah. So at least they have that cushion. You know. <laughs> I, think, I think Nikon will be fine. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And then also, you know, Aaron and I again were were chatting last night about the show, and there was this article that's been floating around the web about working conditions at Canon, and we were going back and forth and wondering if is is it true, is it not true? But essentially, they're saying we'll link to this in the show note. But they're saying that the CEO of the company wrote this book that was talking about his philosophy for managing his people, and that. They have to stand up because, he, you know, he believes that people standing up interact with each other more. Uh, no computers. <laughs> They're not allowed to use computers. They have sensors in the hallways that if you walk too slow, they beep. So you have to put some pep in your oh step when you're God. moving. From, well, I don't know if this is true or not, but I, wanna, I wanted to put it out to the TWIP audience to see if, uh, if there's anybody out there that can verify this. What do, you guys, what do you think about that, Alex? You know, I... I 
you know, it keeps people from becoming too sedentary. Uh, it keeps people walking, you know, walking, you know, having people walk quickly is probably a, a useful thing in some of the hallways. It, cre- it creates a certain level of brick- briskness. Yeah. I do think it might be going a little overboard. Would you do that at Pixel Core? I don't think we need to. Our guys are running around like uh, crazy all the time as it is. Uh, I don't think they could. I, I think when I looked at the basic, you know, five meters every um, 3.6 seconds, yeah, we already do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, we do that in our sleep. Yeah. You know, they so have, I, They have electric uh, collars around their neck at Pixel Core, I think. So <laughs> if they're moving a little slow, they get a little zap. But you know what? You guys, you guys. We, 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 we really moved that to the ankle so the clients <laughs> wouldn't see it. Wow. You guys uh, do a lot of writing, I know. And, you know, when, when I heard about these guys standing up, this was a revelation to me. But there's a couple of writers I know, electronics writers, computer writers, that write standing up. And, and I thought, hmm, I never even considered that. And then uh, my good friend Ben Long was mentioning to me that uh, Ernest Hemingway did all his writing standing up. I mean, do you guys, uh, you know, stand at your computer very often? No. I, I don't all the time, but I, I, uh, I know that uh, one of the things that uh, Walter Murch, who uh, is a great editor, mm-hmm. uh, Walter Murch was known for, what, is still known for, is standing while he's editing. So he does all of his editing standing up. And I know that all of our tables when I worked at ILM you know, were the type of table that you, can, you could punch up to be standing yeah. height or, yeah. or sitting height. I've seen those. Like, and, um, really hydraulic. Just... Yeah, it just popped right up. Yeah, that's it, cool. And uh, uh, I know that a lot of people did work standing up um, because it was just – it. Ca- it it actually is better for your back. It, it had people, you know, you had to have good shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you could go sit down if you needed to relax a little bit and think about something. But when you were working, the idea was is to not have it just be building up on your tum-tum. Yes. I think it's probably worth a try, you know, when you're doing a long photo editor or if you're having to write something. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm going to give it a go. But obviously, you need to have the right ergonomic height and all that kind of stuff. But right. I guess your your blood is flowing and it, you know, maybe maybe my brain will have more blood and I just get up and run around all the time. I mean, I I, I work for a couple minutes and then I go off and do something else. Yeah. And I just come have back a small and... bladder. You just got to keep going to the restroom and there's your... <laughs> Yeah, if you follow those, if you follow like my diet says to drink uh 10 glasses 10 like glasses of water a day. Then you, you really no you, you're really not going to be running. sitting there for any any long period of time as it is. So uh, this week's photo assignment and the current poll um, are new. Uh, Aaron Mailer, you want to tell us about those? Sure. Um, we just ended the personal space photo assignment as of last week, and we'll be posting the selections of that here in the next day or so on the blog. Our new assignment, we're always trying to come up with a you know some keyword or something that uh, that makes for an interesting assignment that's kind of vague, and this week's is going to be retro, R-E-T-R-O. So interpret that however you like. Um, the photos for the next month should all fit the theme of retro in some manner. So we'll figure out as we go along exactly what we're looking for there. Um, the new poll this uh, week. Portrait, uh, portrait view, Aaron, next to those video machines. I mean, I think that, yeah. that's my entry to retro. Right there. True, yeah. There's definitely Sorry. some retro going on over my shoulder here. Um, the poll for this week, uh, has the quantity of photos and shoots that, um, that you do, has it changed since you became a TWIP listener? And uh, as Fred pointed out, these are kind of tongue-in-cheek, narcissistic uh, wording in our answer here, but uh, but the actual answers are buried in here. Um, first off, it's decreased. I'm too busy listening to you guys gab to shoot anything these days. Um, I'm taking about the same quantity as I always have, but uh, you know, inspire me, please, to take more. I shoot a little more than I did before dedicating my life to TWIP, and yes, considerably more than the dark days before TWIP came into my life. Um, so those uh, that poll question is actually up on... <laughs> there's a cat behind qu- you, Aaron. Yeah, there's a, there's I an animal behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to live video. Um, so there's, there's actually, no... There's no um, I've, I've given up photography to sculpt or to dance or to paint. 
Nope, I'm afraid that uh, the, the, those answers are set. So they're currently on the blog. You can go vote there right now at twiplog.com. Excellent. So for the uh, we thought for the uh, the remainder of the show that we would dive into some listener questions because we had a ton of them flooding in, and uh, we very rarely have time to get to more than two or three. So we thought we would take three or four <laughs> 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 and run through and answer some of them. The first one is uh, is actually assigned to someone who's not here, but we're going to answer it anyway. Is uh, is a video capable uh, DSLR more prone to dust? So I wanted to pass that on to someone who just purchased two of them, and I'm sure he did his homework on them. Alex Lindsay is a video-capable SLR more prone to dust than regular ones. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't have a scientific uh, view of this. Uh, you know, but I, I, I doubt it. I doubt that it's any more. I think that the mirror being up a little bit longer will uh, possibly. I think for me, and I think it depends on also how you approach switching lenses is also you know a big i think that has more of a factor of how much dust you're going to end up with on your sensor Mm -hmm. than um because remember when that when that mirror pops up and then pops back down it's going to flush all kinds of stuff around there if i think that you know one of the things about me is that i i really try to minimize the amount of time that my lenses are uh not capped and not on the camera. And so I usually find a place where I can do that very, very fast. I loosen the back lens, you know, loosen the back piece. I loosen the thing and then it's boom, boom, boom. And within five seconds, I've swapped both, both lenses, you know, pop the, you know, pop the back on the last one with the body facing down, right? Or forward or forward. It's hard for me to do it down. Yeah. Um, I'm not that good. So, so anyway, so I, uh, so, so I think that that's how I um, usually approach it to do it as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, that's been my approach and, uh, it's worked, um, you know, fairly well, uh, where I don't get a lot of dust, um, you know, for in the kind of things, but, and I don't think that that's going to change with a video camera. I think that also the reality is, is you're, we're going to get dust on our sensors and I think that we have to figure out how we're going to get them off. I think that's part of owning a camera at this point and, and, and I have to admit someone said oh all the dust is driving me crazy I was like oh, I'm really lucky I don't have a lot of dust and then I went and did a test and I turned it up to you know I turned my aperture all the way up and it was and it was Christmas everywhere <laughs> <laughs> I, was just like, I was like I don't notice the dust because I'm always shooting at like 1.8 and 2.2 yeah. and, and there you won't see the dust I mean mm-hmm. you you or you might see you barely yep. see it there it's where, where you're really going to see the dust is when you start closing that aperture down. So how would how would you suggest this? A, a, this could be your tip. You know, uh-huh. how do you suggest owners of digital SLRs? What what are the steps to go through to confirm if you have dust on it? And then what do you do once you say, "Oh wow, I got a lot of dust on my camera"? What do I do? The uh, the so the the thing that I would do is um, take a, take a white piece of paper mm-hmm. and. Take it outside if you can because you need a lot of light. If you don't have a bunch of lights, we have a lot of lights in the studio. We can turn it on. But mm-hmm. if you don't have a lot of light, just take it outside. Take your camera and put it to the smallest aperture it'll go. So probably F22, mm-hmm. something like that. So turn it all the way down and take a photo. Mm-hmm. And you will, on a white piece of paper, when it's fully framed, if there's dust on your sensor, you will see it. You'll see it. You'll, right you'll, you'll see it right there. That's how you figure out whether you have dust or where, and where it is. And then what? Um, and then you... Um, the, the official way mm-hmm. to do it is to t- send it in <laughs> to have it, uh, you know, yeah. t- taken care of. Mm-hmm. And then you have to be ready to be gone, you know, not have your camera for, you know, four to, to three s- weeks at least, Yeah, you know, four to six weeks, Oof. you know, it can go, it can be gone for a long time. So, uh, it comes back by the way, usually it comes back really, really clean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they, they, they really, you know, clean the whole camera when they, when yeah. you do they that, detail so it. they detail it. And so, um, you can do that. The other thing, and, and I, I got 
and I just I don't have it in my I don't have it at the top of my head. Um, you know, it's uh, I you know you, there's a variety of different cleaning tools that you can then use. You know, after that, and you want to approach that like you're diffusing a bomb. Mm-hmm. You know, you do, you do not want to scratch the. It's you're not you're not touching the sensor itself. There's a piece right. of there's a piece of glass over the sensor, but you, you still don't want to scratch it or scuff it or anything else. And so a lot of these, um, these pieces, at least the very first pass, uh, is, is something that's more statically charged. You're not really, you know, you're, you're, you're picking the stuff up that's just jumping up onto your piece, but then you, you can do a wipe where you actually wipe it and you just want to be gentle with it. There's a lot of good instructions. It is very scary the first time you do it. And now that I've done it a couple of times and I've used visible dust is one, is one, um, piece that I've used. I also, Recently, I picked up the, um, and I'm just trying to find it here because we did it. We actually did. If you go to Twip, if you watch some of our videos, I actually did a um, uh, a video about the one that we're using now, which uh, is I'm trying to find it real quickly here. The um, um, it, it was from when we when we were doing PMA, mm-hmm. and I just don't have it right in. We'll front stick of it me. in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll put it in the show notes. But that's I did I did a video about it in PMA, and that's that's a really great system for uh, you know cleaning off that sensor. One thing you do not want to do is go buy some canned air from no. Office Depot, no. and shoot it in your body, and then put your lens back on. No. Never, ever, ever do that. Ever. Yeah. Not that I've ever done that, but I've heard of people <laughs> doing that, and you basically create. You have a, a, you have a friend, Dave Fred. You, you, yeah, I have a friend <laughs> that may have done that and ruined a body. No, no, just never do that because what happens is, um, what will happen is the freon that's in that can sometimes that squirts out, and when it does, it will destroy the sensor and lots of other stuff in your camera body, and you will be. At Amazon or wherever else, looking for a new a camera. New camera. Body. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you don't care about your camera <laughs> yeah. body, then it's then it's just fine. Then go ahead and do that. There's another question in here for Mr. Steve Simon. It says, uh, "Listener, do we have a listener? Yeah, Mary Hui in Hong Kong says she's got questions about the Nikon 85 millimeter uh, 1.8 on a D60 with no autofocus. She would like to know how. Do we, can you give her some tips on how to manually focus to so that she has better and sharper images?" Well, yeah, sure. I, I checked, and the D60 um, will allow you to use, of course, you know, the Nikon system has made no lens obsolete. You can put, you know, a 50-year-old lens on your latest uh, Nikon uh, digital camera and still use it, although you may not have all the functions. She obviously has a non-autofocus lens, and she's focusing manually. Um, the D60, though, will allow you to have a, a focus confirmation. So, Mary, if you're listening... Um, there's a focus confirmation, a little uh, dot lights up. I, I don't know the D60 exactly, um, but there is a focus confirmation that lets you know when you are in focus. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I'm using autofocus. I haven't used manual focus uh, in a very long time, mainly because my, my, my eyes are fading and uh, I don't like to wear glasses when I'm shooting. And I can rely with confidence on, on autofocus. But, I mean, I think that that's one way to sort of let the technology guide you as to when you're in focus. Um, I don't know. Maybe you guys have some ideas as well that uh, I know you can't replace the focusing screens, although the D60 focusing screen is pretty bright. So she should be able to, yeah. um, to focus properly. I, I, may I guess sho- one other thing. Steve, I may be showing my age, but you remember back in the day with the Nikon F3s uh, when they had the split prism in there? I love could- the split yes. prism. What happened my to the split prism? My grandfather used to tell me about that all the time. 
it would sit <laughs> down. Those in the cannons. Told me about that, but uh, well, yeah, there was obviously, a split prism in there that allowed you. It, it would show two versions of the image, and as you focused, it would bring them into alignment. And when you're when the circle in the middle of the frame was in alignment, you knew it was in focus. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and I'm actually looking at getting a. Uh, there is a. You can actually get something that'll fit onto that'll pop onto your uh, mirror, mm-hmm. so that you can um, have that have that split focus, so that you can do oh, manual. You can you can swap out the focusing screens in the 5D, Alex. There is a split prism available for it. Yeah, and I. I <sighs> Well, I'm, I was, there's a little one that pops onto the mirror uh, that I'm going to put on my old, my 20D, you know, just as a, as more of a experiment, you know, than anything yeah, else. But right. I would also, I would also suggest to Mary to, to actually go out and do a very deliberate test. Go, um, you know, look at a brick wall or, or something that's got a lot of straight lines and just focus and, and make sure that you're kind of able to focus um, when it's kind of an easy situation to focus on because there's always a chance that either your eye is maybe uh, not as strong as you think it is or something might be a little bit out of alignment. I don't know if she wears glasses. There's, you know, there's so many variables, as we know. Well, so. and the little diopter that's, that's on the camera is something that becomes very important if you're trying to do manual focus. So there's a little, there's a little wheel that's mm-hmm. next to your eyepiece, and that doesn't really matter that much when you're using autofocus. I mean, it matters to, for your comfort, but it doesn't affect your focusing. But that starts to matter if you're... What, and what's the diopter for, for folks that don't know? It's for people who have... It's if your vision isn't 20-20. So if, you're wearing, if you wear glasses and you want to shoot without your glasses, you can correct the uh, yeah. the viewfinder to correct for if you had your glasses on, so you see a sharp image through the image or right. through the viewfinder. Right. That's yeah. that's a great point. And when you are adjusting your diopter, you could actually you don't even have to look at the scene itself. You could look at the lines of the the focusing points and 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 adjust the diopter until they're as sharp as they can be, and then you're ready to go out and start focusing. Well, Steve, it brings up a good question. So. The technology in these these cameras, whatever your choice of SLR, digital SLR, has become so... I mean, we've got supercomputers in these cameras now that can do all this amazing stuff from autofocus to, uh, like, on the Nikon system, comparing your scene against 30,000 other scenes before it even takes the picture, and you got the CLS and, you know, ITT, all these different technologies in this one little box. So then my question to you, Steve, is... How much do you trust the technology, and when do you when do you draw the line and saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna trust the camera, I'm not gonna use the force today, I'm gonna take the stick, you know? Yeah. I think I think you know it, it, you know, in any relationship, it takes time to develop trust. And, <laughs> okay, maybe that's another show, but uh, no, I, I definitely recall, relationships. you know, back back in the old days when. Um, I went from manual exposure to auto exposure, still using film, probably in the days of the F3, uh, when I realized that with the matrix metering of the time, um, it, was, it was much better than I was getting on manual. It was much faster. It would nail it all the time. And finally, I kind of went over to aperture priority as opposed to manual. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no question in my mind that you know, the autofocus technology is, is fantastic. I just... I just lament the fact that my eyesight is not as good because I think part of the problem with autofocus and there's so many variables and there's it it is complex to determine which autofocus setting to to use for a particular situation but the idea of kind of focusing manually and focusing on sort of a subject in the corner of the frame I don't know if you can see me here mm-hmm. uh, a subject in the corner of the frame so you can have maybe your foreground out of focus I love the idea of being able to control the focus manually in a lot of situations and with autofocus there are ways to kind of emulate that experience but 
really manual focus is is something that you know has its advantages. So well, and one of the um, one of the questions that we had with uh, you know the, that we're on the boards here, you know, people watching the show right now is like, how do we take full advantage of autofocus? You know, so mm-hmm. you know, because I know I know for me, one of the things that you have to get good at is knowing what you're going to focus on. So if I'm focusing on a person, I usually focus on the inside corner of their eye. Mm-hmm. You know, that's if mm-hmm. I'm if you know that's that's the place that I'm going to tell the autofocus. I don't really use a lot of all I use in autofocus is the center focus, yeah. and then I point to what I want. I focus on you know I set it so that it'll focus on that, and then I reframe holding down the button or holding my my lock. Sure. Um, I'll either hold it halfway down or I'll hold the lock and I'll reframe and then fire. Yep. Um, and, and I, you know, one, that becomes second nature once you get used to it, you know, to just sit there and fight, you know what you want to yeah. focus on and then you know what you want to frame. And, um, cause a lot of people feel like they have to have it, you know, they, a lot of people weight the focus in one side or the other cause yeah. they're shooting people over here, over there. Yeah. And I find it for me, it's too hard for me to keep track of that and know keep where it in the, the center just focus, recompose, yeah. focus, recompose, you know, focus, just, recompose. Uh, the dirty little secret is that not all focus points are created equal. And, you know, they're often in the less expensive DSLRs, the center point is what they call a crosshair point that is actually more accurate and complex than some of the outside focus points. Mm-hmm. Some of the more advanced cameras like the D3 and from the D300 up in the Nikon series um, have more crosshairs, I think 15 compared to the lesser version. So, I mean, you kind of, if you want to really get down to it, you need to kind of experiment and realize um, just what works and what doesn't. And there's really no substitute for doing your own testing. Yeah. Aaron, what, how do you shoot? Are you, the, are you a focus recompose sort of person or are you a, I'm going to use the, the back of the camera and set my focus point and then go from there? Um, I'm mostly a um, focus and recompose. I use a, uh, a central um, focus, focus point and uh, will generally lock focus and then um, you know recompose the scene, and I'm locking both focus and uh, exposure in most cases there too. And how are you able to keep cat hair out of your uh, camera body? <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a hard enough time keeping the cat out of the picture today here. So there's nothing wrong with the cat. The cat can be on the show. Uh, let's yeah. get the cat a microphone. Uh, Aaron, this next question is assigned that. to you. Uh, listener mm-hmm. Daniel uh, from Austria wants to know, so he's shooting lots of DSLR video, and Red says to underexpose versus overexpose. Uh, is mm-hmm. this true on DSLRs as well? You know, I can't speak to the Red. I'm going to have to ask Alex about that in a minute. But I will tell you that my personal experience uh, thus far, and what I have read in some uh, some really excellent texts on raw uh, photography as well, is that um, – most DSLRs, the the way the uh, sensor works in the camera, there's a greater distribution of sensor elements on the high end than there is in the low end. Um, so shots that are slightly or appear slightly overexposed uh, on your DSLR will often uh, be, you can reclaim a lot of that usually uh, versus opening up the shadows where you'll end up bringing in a lot of noise into the image. Um, so the rule of thumb in a lot of cases, that I've, as I've been told and has, have personally experienced as well, is uh, to try and um, you know shoot if it's going to be if the exposure is going to be off a little bit slight overexposure is better than slight underexposure when it comes to the post process essentially and Alex do you have any thoughts on the red side of that well I you know I I think with the red you tend to you, you tend to overexpose a little bit you know I mean that tends to be the process but I will say you want to be careful and, and it is true that in generally I, I to keep this on kind of a DSLR um, conversation at the moment. Uh, right. I think the red is kind of a bit of a different show. Uh, the when we're talking about DSLRs, you do uh, if it's if it you're better off being if the middle is a little bit overexposed, 
you're you're mm-hmm. you're, you're going to be better off than if it's a little underexposed because there is a lot more noise uh, when it's underexposed. By our experience, when we have to pull that up. Um, we find that there's a lot of stuff there that we don't want to see. The thing you have to be careful of, though, uh, when we say this, is that you have to protect, you know, what we we would call the right side of the... Of the, uh, the histogram. of the histogram, which mm-hmm. is that if you see that right side, so if you look at a histogram and you see the right, if you look over at the right side and you see that cut off, it's gone. Yeah, I mean that information yep. is gone because we we are still shooting in a linear space, you know, yep. to to some degree. And and if we and if we um, if we there are ways to shoot in other formats, log and all this other stuff, but we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is we want to make sure that we protect for that area because if you clip the whites. There's nothing there, you know, and so, you, you know, while you want to maybe have it a little bit more exposed than less exposed, yeah. uh, that's a, that is a minor issue. Yeah. By no compared means, don't, to don't, don't, do not clip it, the whites, you know, you know, don't that's get the lax thing. about your exposure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But I, I've found that the highlight recovery, for instance, in Lightroom will save me more by bringing in a little bit of the highlight recovery than, you know, than the opposite. So, you know, shooting film, it used to be, you know, underexpose it and then, and push it in the darkroom, you know, or push it during the printing process really? and in digital finding it to be the other way around a little bit. I mean, again, don't don't go to an extreme in either direction. Because film, personally, film I found allows us to really safer. pound it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, to a degree. But, uh, yeah. I mean, but you can you can bring out, if you, if you, you can bring it out in the darkroom a whole lot better than you can open up the shadows in most digital, you know, photography and, and terms of noise and all that you're going to bring out of it in the process. So, Steve Simon, you know, in terms of just sort of practical shooting, um, when you're when you, you you have your camera in hand, you're out on a job, you're shooting and thinking really quickly. Do you watch your histogram, or are you just shooting, or what's what's your what's going on in your mind when you're when you're trying to capture the moment? Well, absolutely. I mean, I I at first glance will look at the histogram just to make sure that I'm in the ballpark and make sure that I'm I'm getting it. I don't go by the actual image itself. Um, just FYI, I know in the Nikon's the histogram that you're seeing is actually from the uh, the JPEG file and not from the RAW file. So yeah. the RAW histogram will actually have more information um, that you could actually work with. But I just want to make sure that I'm in the ball game, that I'm not uh, completely... I, I agree with Aaron. I tend to uh, expose to the right. Um, and I know that in Aperture and I guess in Lightroom too, you can really bring back a lot of highlights um, that appear to be lost, but they're there. But again, that comes with, with experience. But I, but I really want to kind of ignore my review screen. Once I know that technically things are there, I really want to be concentrating on my subject because yeah. you know that's what it's all about. And we want to, you want the technical to fade into the background and just concentrate on, on everything else that you're doing as part of the process. But the histogram... Uh, itself, the one that you're you're looking at on the back of your your camera, that's not really a true representation of what is in that raw image, right? Because that histogram is built from the JPEG file that the camera mm-hmm. generated, correct? That's that's right. So I mean, you know, it's not going to be that far different, but of course we know that a raw file has a lot more information, so the histogram will be um, a little bit different and. Uh, it's been my experience that even when it looks like, because I know a lot of the post-processing software, it looks at each of the channels, red, green, or blue. So highlights that are lost in even two of those color channels, if there's a little bit of highlight detail in blue, it will rebuild the other color channels and thus bring back information. And it's it's quite extraordinary, you know, what you can bring back. But if you go too far over... It's it's lost forever and gone. Yeah, I right. Mean, back, like back like I said, film. don't be lax about it. I mean, don't don't just rest on that and let the camera. You know, assume the camera is going to save you in that case. Always try to avoid overexposing it if you can. 
But if there is a slight bit of overexposure, you're probably going to get more out of it by raining in those highlights with a highlight recovery than, you know, than the opposite would be true if you were to underexpose the shot. Yeah. Now, Steve, do you do you shoot digital like you were shooting E6 slide film, or are you have you changed your your thinking to be a bit more loose since you have that raw latitude after the for post processing? Well, I, I feel kind of lucky because I was in my newspaper days. We shot negative film where there was a lot more latitude than you know the the, the people that were shooting transparency, where you would tend to underexpose a little bit to be on the safe side to bring out the saturation and the colors to make sure you didn't overexpose. And I think when digital uh, photography first started, that was the thinking to shoot more kind of in that way. But I think now a lot of people are, are realizing that maybe to shoot to the right, to slightly overexpose, as Aaron mentioned, so you could eliminate some of the noise in the shadows um, is, and, and still retain detail in the, in the highlights is maybe the best way to go. Yeah. If you've got really wide contrast in images of photography, you're always having to make a choice anyway on which way you're going to go because you're not going to capture all the latitude that's in there. So, you know, it's an artistic choice as much as anything else. I mean, do you do, you, do blown highlights to some extent, if that's the risk, look better in the shot than going the opposite direction? For now. Yeah. This is another let, one let, of the... Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, let blacks go black. I mean, the one thing that I see that I really don't like so much, because I don't think it works, is people trying to salvage any kind of detail, both in highlight and, and shadows, where, you know, sometimes just black is beautiful when it comes to the frame. If it's a dark area and there's no detail, that's okay. That contributes to the mood of the image. And if the, if the white is blown out, sometimes that works too. You don't have to have detail everywhere. I know you're baiting me, Steve. It's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to work. You got to try harder than well, that. Well, and I think I think for me that's that's actually been one of the challenges that I've had in Africa is shooting when you're shooting um, very very dark complexions in a outdoor environment. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I've shot some when you expose for the subjects, which is, which is some I've done as an experiment. And it really has this ethereal kind of view where, where the, um, the kids that I was shooting uh, outside of Mishvingo, Zimbabwe, were, you know, they're really well exposed, you know, the full range in their face. And then everything around them, it looks like heaven because yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's all right. like this whitey, you know, like yeah. very, you know, uh, bright, ethereal. And it, it was actually kind of a, a great look. So, you know, a lot of times this playing around with this exposure. Um, can, and, and I do think I do think this is something that we, you know, we talked about HDR years ago mm-hmm. and now we. A lot of people are doing it. Mm-hmm. We talked about video, and now people are doing it. The mm-hmm. next thing I think we're going to be seeing um, when we, you know, this is just throwing something out there, mm-hmm. uh, is in five years we're going to be seeing cameras that are shooting HDRs and gathering in camera HDR in camera with one right five. We're, we're already seeing some of that, but right now they're, you know, Fujifilm is doing it. Mm-hmm. There's a couple we we talked we talked about it on the last. I don't remember who else was doing it, but the the thing is, is that you're going to end up with uh, sensors that are capturing three exposures mm-hmm. uh, every time you pull the trigger, yeah. and and that's going to give you. We're really going to be talking about quality of light and not quantity of light um, within the next five or ten years, yep. where it doesn't really, you know, you 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 can shoot any aperture anywhere, and you can have all the light from the filaments in the in the. The, you know all the exposure from the filaments all the way to the uh, the darkest areas. So of everything the screen. Gets, gets closer to that architectural kind of. Well, and, well, and the thing is, is but it, well, the point is, is that you'll be able to at some point you can go back and um, it's you're still going to have to select what you're going to use in that. Sure. You you might choose to compress it. You might not choose to compress it. You may just choose that I'm going to select a slice of this exposure. Mm-hmm. But I think that you know, this is where digital starts to leave film in the dust. 
is this is this process where uh, you're really able to get 17, 20, 25 stops of information uh, every time you pull the trigger. So that, that's a, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but that's a it's a good tangent because. HDR photography in general, I've been seeing more and more and more of it. And we're still in the early stages. Photography magazines, you know, and it's, it's, some of it looks really, really good and some of it looks overdone. Um, where do you fall on that, Alex, in terms of, you know, is it, is HDR photography a technique that should be used sparingly or is it a whole new genre of photography? Where, what do you think? It's I, what I would say is it's it's in its very early stages. Mm-hmm. You know, so HDR photography is in it's in a very uh, um, you know we're, we're trying to figure out you know how to make this work. I've shot some stuff that I think I, I posted a while ago mm-hmm. that uh, I think looks fairly realistic. You didn't see a lot of the sharpening, the high pass look. You know, where they have everything with, well with everything having a, a halo. Oh, That's yeah. the thing that really makes things look kind of really drop things out. I mean, you can use this in a subtle way, or you can use it with a sledgehammer, and I think that. Um, I think that the way we think of HDR, what we're really not when we, when you look on the web and you see HD, when people say "quote unquote" HDR, mm-hmm. what they're really talking about is tone mapping, mm-hmm. not HDR. HDR is simply I'm going to grab all this information and then I'm going to choose what part I want to use later, or I'm going to figure out how to re-expose it. Mm-hmm. Compressing that huge range in HDR down to something that we can view in an eight-bit image. You know, and, and, and keeping everything in exposure, that's a tone map. Yeah. And, and that's what we're, that's when you see, oh, you know, when we say HDR is a fad or it's, it's something that no one, you know, no one really wants to look at, um, you know, all of those things are, that's the tone mapping that you're looking at. All an HDR is, is I'm, I've got a lot of information. And HDR has a, an enormous amount of lighting information. And so uh, I think that that part of the technology is, is going to continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that tone mapping the way we do it now is is probably a bit of a fad. You know, people like the look. Yeah. And if you do it subtly, just to bring in a little bit more cloud detail or a little bit something over it, it works. Yeah. When you hammer something that just doesn't belong together, it looks Unless odd. you're creating an art piece that that you want to look hammered and it's supposed exactly, to look surreal. Exactly. But right. I think that what people react to what they say is, oh, HDR doesn't make any sense because it all looks like crap. When they're saying that, what they're really talking about is tone mapping, not HDR. HDR is simply an image that holds all this information. And then what you process to get it out is a whole other, you know, process yeah well there's uh, one more question in here and this one's assigned to aaron it's from carl r he says uh since iphoto is able iphoto is able to do face recognition could iphoto or a future version of aperture not be able to do gray card recognition and do an initial calibration of all the pictures taken after the gray card is shot what do you think about that well um i th- certainly think it has a possibility of being such um I mean, certainly whenever you use any reference uh, gray card or other white or gray reference in your image uh, when you're post-processing, you can, if all the shots share that same lighting situation, you can certainly grab a sample out of one and then propagate that setting across your entire set. That's Lightroom, uh, Aperture, however you want to do it. We do that quite a lot. Um, I think what he's referring to here is uh, with the facial recognition, you know, would there be a way to recognize the gray card being in the shot? I don't know, just a something being the right color as a reference, probably not automatically. Um, but if there were some type of standardized things, and, uh, for instance, the spider cube, for instance, which is a pretty recognizable item, you know, based on its shape, I certainly think the possibility is there whether they're actually going to implement that. I'm not sure. Hard to say. What do you guys think? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, too much automation is, <laughs> you know, just yeah. put the grid card in there and shoot it if you're going to do that. I don't think you right. need to, to rely on iPhoto to find the gray card and then do all that magic. <clears throat> At a certain point, and, you got to take the reins and, and uh, take control yeah. of that stuff. But gray cards are very useful. Um, shooting gray cards or... Uh, or um, Dumont charts, or oh, you know, yeah. I'm not saying don't shoot it. I'm saying yeah, those don't rely on the software to find it for right. you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> shoot the gray card, you know, and right. just use it as you know your your sampling when you when you do your balancing and all that. But don't and it's, don't it's don't so, lean too much on the on the software. It's so quick to be able to like an aperture lift and stamp, you know, your whole shoot to fix mm-hmm. the white balance on on you know all the images shot in that in that lighting condition. That you know, I I don't think that particular technology what this uh, reader was asking um is necessarily on the the top of everybody's mind at this point but yeah i'm sure again it would all have to be the the same lighting situation too otherwise you're gonna have to have your gray card in your shot you know every single photo (laughs) all right guys let's move on to the picks of the week um lots of good picks in here i'm seeing uh steve simon you want to kick yours off uh, sure. Um, I, I put in the Singray neutral density filter that gives you an eight-stop neutral density range. And because I'm, I'm doing a lot of workshops these days, actual nature photography workshops, something that um, is, is something that I'm not used to doing, I've realized that often um, there's just too much light. And I don't want to set my ISO below the kind of sweet spot, which on the Nikon is ISO 200, mm-hmm. which means that particularly with water, where I love sort of playing around with slow exposures, um, unless it's really kind of dim light, uh, I'm not going to be able to get the shutter speeds that I need. And the Singray Neutral Density Filter allows you an 8-stop range oh. so that even when the light comes up, I can still shoot at beautiful slow shutter speeds with a tripod and, and get the flowing uh, movement of the water in different, uh, different uh, degrees of, of movement. So I, I think that I'm just going to try it out. I'm doing a workshop this, weekend, this coming weekend in Oregon. And I'm going to give it a go and, and see. So I'm, I haven't tried it out yet. I'm going to try it this weekend. It's my pick of the week because I've wanted one for a long time. And uh, I suspect I'm, I'm really going to enjoy using it. So just, just quickly on that, uh, how, how, do, how do you actually vary the, the density of the neutral density filter? I'm trying to imagine the mechanics of that. Yeah, it's actually kind of a, a twist filter. It's not cheap. It's over three hundred dollars, oh. and you just you just turn you buy this a flash thing. for that, Steve. <laughs> I know it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but uh, you know, for someone who's doing a lot of this kind of work, it it does make some sense because it it allows you a lot more uh, flexibility and and different kinds of images that you wouldn't normally get after a certain time when the sun comes up. Um, and it would be fun to even play with because if you can create a slower exposure, even in the daytime, anything that moves like a city street, and I've seen some beautiful work of people doing slow exposures, uh, even in daylight where you know a busy city street disappears because anything that moves won't record on the digital sensor. Um, but you just basically twist it, and the more you twist it, the, the deeper the neutral density gets. It's, it's, it's a very well-made, uh, high-end kind of kind of glass and that's how it works Brad just by by twisting it it's a 77 millimeter it's a thin so it'll it'll work on the the wider angle lenses like a 24 to 70 mm-hmm. so um, I'll, I'll give you the uh, I'll let you know how it turned out excellent cool maybe that's uh, the topic for a blog post on twiplog.com mm. yeah maybe putting you on the spot there okay. and yeah. uh, <laughs> next up is Alex Lindsay 5d <laughs> 
<laughs> Why are you cheating? Come on. Hey, because uh, because people have been waiting. Two. People have been waiting for me for to make this pick for a you long feel guilty, time. So you? I'm picking. You look like you're guilty. <laughs> All right, Alex Lindsay's pick is the 5D Mark II times, with the new firmware. Times two with the new firmware. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if it was a little shit with a bullet. It. You think it'll? Yeah, it won't come with the firmware. You'll have to update that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sitting on the store shelf somewhere. Um, and up next is Aaron Mailer. Aaron, what's your pick of the week? My pick of the week's um, it's a pretty personal one. I'm just gonna you know brazenly admit that I'm I'm making a selection here that's that's got some personal ties to say the least. But my pick this week is um, is a website called Timebinder.net, which is actually my dad's uh, first blog and website, and it is a photo website. Um, basically, uh, he has been collecting for a while now um, countless prints to some degree, but predominantly uh, glass negatives, um, some well over 100 years old at this point, and uh, has been scanning them and doing a little touch-up work and clean-up and so on. But he's selecting ones that are just really interesting in, in lots of ways, uh, culturally interesting, uh, just something about them that just in each case is, is somewhat unique for its time period and so on, and uh, has been doing fantastic write-ups on them. So he's posting these. Uh, he's going to be doing them almost daily at this point. I think he's got over 30 of them up there now. And uh, so it's a, it's a very large, high-resolution image you know, from the scan, and then his discussion about the image, and then it's all open to comment, and it's really encouraging people to come and see the photos and participate in the process and offer your thoughts and ideas on each image. Um, he's also going to start writing some pieces on there soon about the collecting process, about the history of the different types of images that are there, so on and so forth. So, uh, completely non-commercial thing, just uh, a labor of love. Something he's enjoying doing, and um, I'm I'm really liking the site he's put together, which happens to be on Squarespace too, by the way. Just nice. had that as an aside. So, cool. timebinder.net. So check it out. All right, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And uh, my pick of the week is Scott Kilby's Worldwide Photo Walk. I was able to participate in it last year, and I led the, the San Jose Walk. So a bunch of people showed up. I met uh, Nicole, Nicole oh, yeah. Young there mm-hmm. at that uh, photo walk. So it's a, great, it's a great opportunity to sort of mingle and mix with photographers of all skill levels and just sort of walk around, take a bunch of pictures, and end up at some venue, talk, and, and disperse, and you might win some really cool prizes. The, the URL... Uh, to sign up for a photo walk in your part of the world is uh, www.worldwidephotowalk.com. I'm leading two photo walks this year, one in San Jose again, which is already booked, unfortunately. It's completely sold out. And I'm doing one in San Francisco, Chinatown, so which is also sold so out. So when is this? This is on July 18th, Saturday. Cool. So... Uh, the San Jose one I'm doing in the morning, and then the the we'll do a sunset Chinatown walk. Which You're just everywhere. I'm all over the place. I am, you know, Renaissance. So that's my pick <laughs> of the week. Make sure you check that out. Uh, there was a, a ton of great photos captured last year, and it's you know, the whole thing is free. It's not like you know they're try- Scott's trying to make a ton of money on it. Scott Kelby is not trying to make a ton of money on this thing. He's just you know putting this thing together. The world can walk together, take photos, right. and you might win something. So it's kind of cool. Great. So it looks like we're, we're coming to the end. We've run to the end. Of our first video version of This Week in Photography. It's very exciting. What's up with that? How do you Hope. feel about it? I, I had fun. You did? I had fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, we lost Ron. Ron, uh, we're going to have to apologize to Ron on air. I'll apologize to him later. He, Ron was a little late uh, coming out. And once we, with the video end of things, once we get going, we were going. So, um, so, uh, so we'll have to, we'll, we'll definitely get Ron in next time. And Steve Simon had an appointment and had to take off and leave us. Steve, you're, you're gone, right? Crickets? Yep. Crickets. Steve logged Steve, out. Yeah, Steve, Steve had gone. to log out. So yeah, we, I thought uh, he had to log out and he's gone. 
And uh, so, Aaron, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your dad's blog, your stuff, your Twitter, all that? <laughs> um, you can find me on my blog, uh, halfpress.com. And I'll say my dad's blog is a whole lot more up-to-date than mine at the moment. Uh, but for more recent uh, information and chatter from me, definitely find me as halfpress on Twitter. So twitter.com slash halfpress, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S. Excellent. And Steve Simon, you can find him at Steve Simon Photo. That's his his link. And he's also on Twitter at just Steve Simon. Fred, where can people find you? People can find me uh, on my blog at FrederickVan.com or more up to date would be my Twitter feed, which I just Twittered about us doing this show. Um, And that's just FrederickVan, Twitter.com slash FrederickVan. And where can people find you, Alex Lindsay? Uh, They can find me on the Twitters. Alex Lindsay. <laughs> the Twitters. All of them. I'm going to ban that that usage of the word Twitter somehow. It's kind of like they can find me in the avenues. <laughs> you can find me in the series of tubes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That brings us to an end of the, or to the end of our inaugural episode of This Week in Photography done via streaming video live from the Twit Cottage. Thanks, everybody live who joined us. Thanks, everybody in the show. Take that lens cap off. Take Get out off. there. Start shooting. Get out there and shoot. 